saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards, we have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. <laughs> Did you guys hear our teen panel a few episodes back? The teens were so smart and funny, and we loved the parenting advice they gave you guys. It's extra good because if you're a 16-year-old, you were a little kid so recently. Those memories are fresh. So we are doing it again. We're putting our teen panel to work answering your questions about curfews and screen time and should you let your kid get a snake? I mean, my answer is no, but who knows what they're going to say and how it might make you an even better parent. Email us your questions, hello at longestshortesttime.com, and we will pass them on to our team panel. That's hello at longestshortesttime.com. It was January 1974, Palm Springs, California. A banquet was being held to honor Joseph Alioto was running for governor. But while he was on stage that night, his wife, the mother of their six children, 58-year-old Angelina Alioto, she did something that would go on to make national news. She got up to use the restroom and never came back. Angelina's disappearance was in every major paper, and All Points Bulletin was issued in five Western states. Everyone said it was the end of her husband's political career. Reporters asked, if you can't control your wife, how will you control what happens in Sacramento? Angelina was missing for 18 days. And when she came home, she agreed to do a joint press conference with her husband. From under her stylish platinum bouffant, she told reporters that she'd use the time to tour missions around San Francisco, knowing that no one would ever look for her amongst the poor. When asked about her reasons for disappearing that night, she said... I just want to, damn it, to be introduced. Before she left the banquet that night, Mr. Alioto had failed to even mention, let alone thank, his wife and kids. It made her feel used. She told reporters that that's when she realized that all her life she'd been a good daughter to her parents, a good mother to her children, a good wife to her husband. But she said, I've never been me. Angelina Alioto started getting letters from women around the country who felt the same way, that it was time to say no when their husbands asked them to get them their shoes. They said that they, too, felt taken advantage of. When Angelina divorced her husband, the mayor, two years later, she told the newspapers, they say behind every successful man is a good wife. 
that should be by the side of every successful man. Because if you stand in the shadow of a man too long, you'll wilt. Stand by his side and you'll get a little sunshine. Following along from her home in Dallas, Ann Richards cited Alioto's story as part of what inspired her own career in politics, her choice to step out from behind a successful man and into the light. She later became the governor of Texas. It looks like, as Barbara Jordan said, the people of Texas are back. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Today, we're revisiting our Working Mom series, It's a Real Mother, to honor the wave of women, many of the moms who just ran for office in record numbers. It's pretty striking. The Political Action Committee, Emily's List, they were thrilled in 2016 when they heard that 920 women were running. This year, a midterm election, it went from 920 to more than 26,000 women ready to grab that spotlight and shine it directly on themselves. Could this mean less discrimination for moms in the workplace, more family-friendly policy changes? We're going to be talking about that later on in the show with Fox's Sarah Cliff. But first, let's look at one example of what it's actually like to run for office as a woman and a mom. When Jennifer Carroll Foy started thinking about running for an open seat in the Virginia General Assembly, it wasn't because she had all this free time. She was working as a public defender in Arlington County. She'd been a foster mom for eight years. She'd volunteered for other people's campaigns, Obama, Bernie, and Hillary. But in 2016, things changed. The catalyst for me really stepping up was the resolution, I believe, that was proposed in the General Assembly that said that Roe versus Wade anniversary be treated as a day of tears and that all flags in Virginia had to be flown half staff and that it was considered a day of mourning. So after that, I thought it was an absolute um, waste of taxpayers' time and money and a vigilant way to shame and harass women, and I knew I wasn't going to tolerate any longer. Jennifer signed up for a training program called Emerge America. They offered a boot camp for women who were Democrats and preparing to run for office. They told us, you know, you are unique in that you are a woman candidate, so you have to be very cognizant of your arms showing, what colors you're wearing. When you answer questions, to be poised so you don't come off as aggressive. The heel height is important because you're standing oftentimes for hours at a time. And to show up in an event with six-inch stilettos, you know, it's just not practical. So you want to have a thicker heel, a lower heel, because when it's higher, it elongates you, which is great, but you know, there's a sexual connotation there that you want to avoid. So it's just better to have a practical lower heel, maybe like two to three inches at the most. Um, they talk about your hair and that bangs cover your face. High up ponytails make you look very youthful and which can be correlated with being inexperienced. So all of those type of things they 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 talk to us about, which you you think that it shouldn't matter, right? But it does. Perception is everything. And while I sometimes would get caught up on the unfairness of that, they would quickly say, okay, I agree with you. It's not fair. Now get over it because we have a race to win. The training taught Jennifer to start noticing what people say about women when they leave the room. What really 
solidified that for me is when I remembered when Michelle Obama would go to events and the one thing people were talking about was her arms. Not the substance of what she was saying, but look at how muscular her arms are. So that's an example of the conversations people will have about you when you're not there. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing about how I want universal pre-K, but all about how often I work out because my arms are super muscular. Jennifer started to wonder what people might say about her stomach. What if it grew? What if she got pregnant? Back then, she and her husband were leaving things up to chance. I announced my candidacy the last week in January. I found out later that uh, we became pregnant on Valentine's Day. So I remember I told my friend that I was pregnant and her first immediate response was, well, when are you going to drop out of the race? And what I said to her was, well, why would I have to do that? And she says, well, you're working full-time as a criminal defense attorney. Um, You're married now and you're running for office. That's a lot. Um, I don't see how you can be successful in doing all of that. Something has to give. But Jennifer has a personality trait that makes her a great politician and defense attorney. She loves to prove people wrong. It goes back to the first time she strongly expressed political ambitions. When I was in, I believe, third grade, I remember uh, us going over the presidents of the United States and not seeing any of them that looked like me. And so I remember declaring then that I was going to be president when we all had to stand up and say what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, that'll never happen, sit down. The next memorable time she heard no was when she told her high school classroom she wanted to enroll in one of the most prestigious military academies in the country. When I said I wanted to go to Virginia Military Institute, I mean, the whole classroom, when I announced that I was going, stood up and jeered and protested and said, now, only should I not go, but I would not be successful because I was just naturally and biologically inferior to men mentally and physically, and everyone knows that. Jennifer became one of the first Black women to ever graduate from VMI. And because she'd never considered being a woman, and now a pregnant woman, an obstacle to achieving her goals, it wasn't going to be a factor in this campaign. She didn't tell her voters or even her staff. I wanted to make sure no one could say, well, she didn't get the job done because she was pregnant. I wanted to do it better than the people who were not pregnant. It's like that Ann Richards quote. The difference between Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, she did it backwards and in heels. But in the case of this candidate, she's about to do it backwards in reasonable heels while pregnant with what turned out to be twins. Yes, that's right. That's right. Jennifer started going door to door, talking about her plans to cover low-income Virginians who didn't have health care by passing Medicaid expansion. And because no one knew she was pregnant yet, they never asked about her morning sickness or who's going to take care of these babies if we elect you. But this wasn't going to last. With twins, her pregnancy was considered high risk. She was vulnerable to early labor. I knew that I would probably be put on bed rest because the doctor always told me that some women were made to carry multiples and you're not one of them. Four months into her pregnancy, it's time to tell her staff. I remember giving them a call and saying, um, hey, I went to the doctor during my lunch break and he told me that um, I will no longer be standing 
And so I'm on my way to the hospital where I will be on bed rest for the duration of my pregnancy. Yay. So and that was the first time you said, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> yes, that is when they all found out. And I was like, all right, so we're moving the team meetings to uh, Inova Fairfax Hospital. And I told him I was on the third floor. So yes, that's, that's, that's how it was announced. The primary was just two days away. So Jennifer got to work calling donors, conducting meetings from bed. But would that be enough to win? Stay with us. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Welcome back. And where we left off, Jennifer Carol Foy was waiting on the results of a Democratic primary for a seat in the Virginia General Assembly. Get this. She won by 14 votes. They had to do a formal recount, all while she was on bed rest while pregnant with twins. And as you might have guessed, Jennifer did not love bed rest. I had friends and they said, oh, you should welcome this break. And it was anything but. It can be very painful sitting in the same position for not only hours, but days and weeks at a time. You actually can lose like muscle mass um, because you're just so and you know inactive and it's hard because this is something that you've worked so hard for for so long and to know that you're now incapable of doing all that you want to do it it was it was difficult mentally and physically but i knew you know i had two lives that i was responsible for and that I had to protect and was paramount before everything so luckily my husband was able to pick up the torch and successfully get us across the finish line the finish line was 4 months away the general election in November. Happened to be pretty close to her due date. Yeah, so they were actually scheduled to be born, I believe, on November 2nd. But two weeks after winning the primary, Jennifer's doctors told her that there was no more waiting. Her November babies were coming in July. The point of viability is 24 weeks. And what that means is typically babies born before 24 weeks do not make it. They do not survive. Statistically, it just doesn't happen. So I remember asking, is there any way that we can, you know, delay or prolong the pregnancy? I just needed to make it to 24 weeks. But the nurse looked at me and said, that's not going to happen. You're going into labor now. I remember the neonatologist coming in and saying to me, "Um, you're you're 22 weeks. Viability is 24 weeks. So what we're going to do is we're going to hand you your babies wrapped in a blanket so you can hold them while they pass away. 
And I remember looking at my husband and he was just stunned. And I remember looking around the room and I felt fear coming over me and a pain and a hurt that I've never felt before. And then I swallowed and I looked at that neonatologist and I said, if my babies don't walk out of here, none of you walk out of here. And I want heroic efforts in order to make sure that they survive. I understand your statistics. I serve a mighty God. And until he says that they're not going to be here, they're going to be here. So I looked at the nurse and said, I'm ready now. Let's roll out of here. And she rolled me out. That line, if my babies don't walk out of here, none of you guys are. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a threat. <laughs> it saying. was a threat. It actually, and actually, one of the nurses said that um, after, after the whole thing. Um, she said, Jen, I'm going to need you to not threaten my staff. I said, I completely get it. And we both laughed. But, um, you know, that's that, 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 you know, mom instinct in you that just comes out of nowhere that I'm willing to risk my life and I will do anything to protect my kids. And um, yeah, and I, I, I couldn't hear or I wouldn't tolerate anything else. For Jennifer Carroll Foy, winning her House of Delegates race might not have been the biggest event of the week. In fact, she's been doubly blessed. Midway through her first ever campaign, she gave birth to Xander and Alex, identical twin boys, born early at 23 weeks. Jennifer's story went national. It was covered on MSNBC, in Time Magazine, The Nation, this incredible nominee from Virginia who gave birth while campaigning to twin boys, one and a half pounds each. The babies are now healthy 11-month-olds, but they did spend about four months in the NICU while their mom was getting ready for the general election. They were still there when Jennifer went back to knocking on doors, At night, she and her husband would shut off their phones to go back to the hospital and spend time with their sons. In the Washington Post, Jennifer told a reporter, I smell the top of their heads and they relax me. And as difficult as this experience was, becoming a mom really informed Jennifer as a politician. For example, she now had a whole new understanding of the Family Medical Leave Act. I just assumed, hey, I know there's this thing called FMLA and that's 12 weeks, right? 12 weeks of pay while you bond with your child. That's great. Absolutely not. That 12 weeks is for job protection, job protection only. And so again, I was lucky to be able to pull from disability, but that was about half of my income of my paycheck. But then some women don't have that at all. The press coverage Jennifer was getting had a positive impact on her race, but the drama wasn't over yet. On the Republican side, things were falling apart. Jennifer's opponent, Laquan Ostian, dropped out because he'd lied about his academic credentials. And then his replacement, Mike Mackey, never caught up to Jennifer's fundraising. She'd raised $500,000, and he'd raised less than half of that. Most of her supporters said that they loved how she made Medicaid expansion the central focus of her campaign, while also talking about the district's traffic problems, named the worst in their state. Jennifer won the race. Moms make the best candidates because you're able to understand how people struggle with childcare. You're able to see why we need universal pre-K and why paid maternity leave is such a huge issue. And it hurts, you know, women and it hurts, which means it hurts families. So I think being a mom, it, it, it exposes you to issues and things that 
for some people they otherwise are unfamiliar with. One of Jennifer's freshman colleagues in the house, who she knew from that Emerge training program, was Kathy Tran. Kathy had a toddler at the time, and right away, the two of them realized that their new workplace wasn't designed for them. We need changing tables. We need a nursing room. We need to be able to establish areas where there can be childcare and after-hours childcare because we have votes that we can go until 8, 9 o'clock at night. We need that. She remembers pumping in the bathroom with Kathy sitting in the next stall doing the same. Kathy even made the local news when she became the first delegate to pull out a nursing cover and breastfeed on the floor of the Virginia house. These two moms, new to their spotlight, right away they started making changes to shine that light back and start welcoming women coming up behind them. And I'm happy to say that in the new General Assembly building, there will be changing tables and they're working on a nursing room. And now we have it to where a new mom comes out and we can say, we have establishments for here, uh, for you here for childcare options and daycare. I mean, those are the things that have to be done. And that's what happens when you elect moms to office. Jennifer did pass Medicaid expansion, helping get health care to 400,000 Virginians, many of them women, veterans, the disabled, and the elderly. Her next big push is a bipartisan effort to make Virginia the 30th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. That's the last state needed to make the equal rights of women part of the U.S. Constitution. That vote's coming up in January. In a bit, I'll be joined by Sarah Cliff from Vox. It's going to explain why electing more women can change how government works. Don't go away. Say advertisement. Advertisement. Good job. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a special interview with cow nutritionist Rosemary Zimbelman. We'll hear about her unique career path and the types of diets cows eat on a farm. Head to undeniablydairy.org slash devoted to learn more about the people behind the real fresh dairy foods on your plate. So when you're talking about working moms and politics, there's this umbrella term that comes up a lot, family policy. It basically means the policies that improve the quality of life for anyone with kids or parents that they need to take care of. Here at the show, we've been wondering what it's going to take to make things like universal pre-K or paid family leave as hot of a national topic as health care and immigration. Well, it might be when we have more women in government. Sarah Cliff is a senior policy correspondent at Vox and a new mom to five-month-old Max. His favorite thing in the world right now, which we just discovered a few days ago, is if you, um, like, put your hands up in the air and then, like, slam them on the table or slam them on, like, the couch. Um, so I spend a lot of time, like, waving my hands around like a total doofus. And um, and he's, he's really into that. When our hands are free, Sarah loves reading about the consequences that laws and policy have on real people's lives. It's actually what she does on her own podcast, The Impact. In a lot of her research, she's found that women govern differently than their male counterparts. You know, that part of the Affordable Care Act, which mandated that most companies have some kind of private space for women to pump in, you know, that came from um, 
a female senator's office. Um, Barbara Mikulski, the former senator from Maryland, was the person who was behind getting that provision into the Affordable Care Act. It's really hard for me. I, I mean, maybe I'm not being generous enough, but it's very, very hard for me to imagine a male congressman thinking, you know what's like probably hard for women who pump at work, you know, to find that space and to find the time and be like, aha, I I know what that um what we need to do to help these women. That feels like one of those benefits you really only realize needs to exist like through a lived experience of like <laughs> navigating that particular issue. Right. My name's Jim Smith, and thanks to me, you all <laughs> yeah. have pumping rooms now. Right. Yeah. A lactation room in every company. <laughs> Is there more research on this proving that uh, moms are better at creating representational policy for other moms? So we don't have research on moms, but we definitely do on women. So we definitely see in a few political science studies, um, you know, that um, like there's one I really like from uh, Michelle Swers, who's um, a political scientist at Georgetown. And she did this really interesting study where she looked at Congress in the mid-1990s and she compared male and female legislators who were generally the same ideology. But she found that the—and these were all, like, liberal legislators— that liberal female legislators, they co-sponsored about twice as many bills related to women's health as their male colleagues. So these are people with roughly the same politics, but with a different area of focus that seems to, you know, be dependent on their gender. So in this year's midterm elections, more women than ever ran. Do you think that that could lead to more of these family-friendly policies nationwide? I think it could. I think, you know, if we are in a position where we have more women in power, I think they're going to be thinking about, you know, every Congress has to make has to make decisions about what do we prioritize, you know? Are we going to pursue health care? Are we going to pursue climate change policies? There are so many... You know, a lot of times I think the pushback is like, well, why not do it all? And the answer is because, you know, there's limited things you can put your political muscle behind. And at the end of the day, you kind of have to choose your priorities and then go to bat for them. And I think if you have, you know, more people who come from a different background in this context, like more people who are women, more people who have had the experience of, of being a mom, seeing what it's like to take care of young children, then the political science research suggests that we'll see different different types of policies being introduced. You know, I don't think it's going to be in the next Congress or so, unfortunately, that we're going to have a national paid leave policy. Usually these things take a little bit longer. But I think one of the things you kind of see is that, you know, the, it kind of starts with like a trickle of ideas and bills being put out there, not passing the first time, but getting more attention, generating more conversation. And then that ultimately kind of snowballing into some kind of proposal that a party that a party gets behind, so it's a, it's a long process. I, I don't think it's going to be overnight, but I'm pretty convinced by the research that I've looked at. I guess I had a weird impression of this that you know, tell me I'm wrong about this, but I I am afraid that more women in office doesn't necessarily lead to better representation for moms. Because I I feel like the incentive structures might be were designed for men and might still be there. And isn't there a possibility that women will just, you know, in a desire to fit in and avoid the discrimination that they're already experiencing, acclimate? Yeah, I mean, those are all fair concerns. I think you're fair. You are totally fair to have those concerns. But let me, like, tell you a little bit more about kind of some of the research that I've looked at. One of the other things um, that you see in the political science research, it's something one of the researchers, you know, I've talked to terms the 
Jill Robinson theory of um, female Congress members, which is kind of um, a reference to Jackie Robinson. The idea is it's really hard to get elected as a woman, that you have to work harder, you have to face more barriers, um, that the women who actually, like there are, I think there's one researcher I talked to who, you know, was saying there are so many guys who wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and are like, I would make a great member of Congress. And like women aren't doing that as much. You know, they aren't saying, you know, fewer women are saying, yeah, like, I think I'd be very good at this job. So the idea here is that the women who actually run for office and win their races for office are, you know, possibly, you know, just better at what they do compared to the men who are running for office because they've had to face all these hurdles that they've to come into office. And that's kind of where it takes its name from the Jackie Robinson effect that, you know, he had to be because of uh, racism and, you know, he had to be so much better just to qualify, just to get on the same literal playing field. And so one of the things you actually see is that women legislators tend to be more effective legislators. So one of the ways you can measure that is by bringing money back to your home district, like, you know, getting money to start a pre-K program or repave local roads or whatever. There was a study that came out a few years ago that found that female legislators on average send 9% more funds back to their districts than male colleagues. Districts represented by women receive an additional $49 million annually on average compared to their male-represented counterparts. So that kind of suggests that, you know, women kind of start kicking ass once they get into into Congress because they have to do better just to get there in the first place. But isn't that exhausting to think about that women have to try that much harder to get into office and once they're there, they're going to work that much harder? And they're going to be, you know, probably the ones who are going to remember where their kids' shoes are all the time, (laughs) you know, like on top, on top, on top. So there's a study that found that potential women candidates are 15 times more likely to be responsible for childcare in their homes than male candidates, six times more likely to shoulder the majority of housework. And women are much less likely to have others encourage them to run for office. (sighs) So that part, like, really depresses me a lot. It makes me sad to think about all these other things that are, like, sitting on the shoulders of these potential candidates who are thinking about running. And I think that speaks to, like, why— you know, you don't see women looking in the mirror as much as men thinking I'd make a great congressperson is because they have all these other things going on in their lives that make it seem really difficult to imagine themselves like as a congressperson. I will say, though, as more women are in office, like there's um, the, the, the last kind of space of this research that I find really encouraging and really like makes me feel better about things is that when you have more women in political office, you actually see younger women, girls, their parents thinking differently about the role of women in society. There was this fascinating study that came out, um, actually out of India. Essentially, they created a gender quota for their local governments, and it phased in over time. So it started in some cities, rolled out to more cities, and that gave researchers a really interesting experiment to see, okay, when you have this wave of women coming into government, and it's happening randomly in some cities and not other cities, like, what changes? And one of the things I see, which kind of startled me, was that, you know, parents start having different expectations for their daughters in the cities that had the gender quotas start earlier. So they started being less likely to say things, you know, like they expected their daughter to keep house. They started actually having their daughters doing less chores in the house. They were getting further 
in school, they were doing more years of education. That like kind of blew my mind a little bit. I don't know how applicable it is to the U.S., but even to see it there, I think it showed me how important it is to have role models and like to look at Congress and see someone who looks like you and think, you know, look in the mirror and think like, well, maybe, maybe that could be me when I grow up. So how do you think we take issues that matter to families like universal pre-K or paid parental leave and make them considered more universal issues and less women's issues? I feel like women, like, I, I hate the term women's issues. You know, like, I feel like it's almost like a policy ghetto in a way. Like, oh, those are just like issues for them. Like, no, these like matter to everybody because it's not just women who are having children. Like, you know, it takes both genders to like, and like we are we are creating the next generation of Americans. So like, yeah, this is an issue I think that is like a universal person issue. I will be curious to see how this goes in the um, 2020 races. So looking even further ahead, I think one of the things like I'm seeing is the candidates are really starting to like test out interesting new policy ideas that we're kind of in the middle of like what I think of um, as the policy primary. So, for example, I was writing a few weeks ago about this interesting idea that Cory Booker has to um, give every kid born in the United States something called a baby bond, where every kid would get this savings account when they're born with $1,000 in it. And then each year, depending on how much your family makes, you would get a deposit in that account, um, which would phase out up to a certain income. It, it, and at, once you pass that income threshold, you know, certain kids would be too high income to be getting contributions. And then, you know, the idea is when every kid is um, turns 18, that they would have some kind of sizable nest egg they could put towards a down payment, they could put towards a college education, whether that nest egg came from the government or came from your parents who had that money, that every kid would kind of have that start. So, you know, I think that's interesting because it is certainly a child welfare policy, but it's one that doesn't like get grouped in with like a women's issue. Because I think the way when I've talked to Senator Booker about it, he frames it a lot more about solving racial inequality and kind of reducing the racial wealth gap. So I think, you know, as we see 2020 candidates kind of vying to test out these new policy ideas, I think we'll see like more thinking on ideas like subsidized childcare, on paid parental leave. So I'm optimistic we'll talk about it a little bit more kind of as we get into the presidential election cycle. Sarah Cliff is the host of The Impact, a podcast from Vox. And this season, they're going to be reporting on policy experiments to address everything from a creative solution for high infant mortality rates in South Carolina to why more dads aren't taking Denmark up on their generous parental leave policy. We want to hear from you guys. What policy changes are you hoping to see with more moms in office? And we'd also love to hear about a mom you just voted for. Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 177. Now, a lot of people helped inform this episode. We want to thank some listeners who just ran for office. We spoke with Brooks Wynn, who just ran for Dixie School Board in San Rafael, California, and also Tanya Neslusen, who just ran for state rep in Massachusetts. Special thanks also to Jill Greenlee at Brandeis University. Plus, we had recording help from Jared Benix and John O'Leary. This episode was produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Jackie Sajiko. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. 
Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, we're bringing in a panel of culture writers to talk about how family is being represented in the stuff we watch and read. Like that scene in the TV show Better Things, where the daughters stage a fake funeral for their mom in the living room. My friend Aaron, who watches the show, both of us were like, where's my funeral? (laughs) When am I getting my funeral? I need this funeral. I mean, we were both hysterical. You won't want to miss this one. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab and submit your story. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.